Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear, or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. It is not the day is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, and the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Worship. Here we are. Got this hour on Sunday mornings to worship. And interesting concept if you just like didn't grow up as a Christian or if uh, you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, if if you were to take a step back, it's kind of odd that people gather together for an hour, one day a week to sing weird music, to participate in what feels like really archaic practices, to listen to some weird guy talk for way too long. Yeah, it's kind of odd. So, why do we worship? This is the call and response part. I want to hear from you. Why do we worship? What's that? To glorify God. To glorify God. Excellent, yeah. To remind, us who he is. to remind us of who God is, absolutely. To express gratitude, that's good. To fellowship, absolutely. Yeah, I think these are all perfectly fair. I think these are all perfectly right. Uh, Worship is, well, if you look back for a moment, not about us. If you think about the answers that you gave, it's something that we do for God. Something that we do for God. In other words, it is an act of service. Something that you do for someone else. That's what an act of service is, doing something for someone else. In fact, this concept isn't just something I made up. It's rooted in the ancient languages of Scripture. In uh, the Hebrew text, there are actually, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, nine different words, Hebrew words, that get translated as worship in our Old Testament. Uh, the one that uh, that is most directly related to the worship that we talk about is the word avoda. And avoda can get translated as a couple of different ways. Sometimes it shows up as work. Sometimes it shows up as worship. But primarily, its function is service. Then in the Greek, uh, again, a couple of different uh, words that get used to describe worship, that we translate as worship. Uh, But one particular Greek word, latreuo, 
Yeah, try saying that five times fast. Latreuo also gets defined as service. It's something that we do. In fact, uh, while I was in undergrad, and I majored in, uh, one of my majors was religion, I had to take a class on worship. And the teacher on the very first day told us, don't ever call it a worship service. Why? Because it's redundant. A service service? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going to a service service. So it's redundant. It's worship. Worship is service, and service is worship. They identify each other. So uh, if, we can dis- if we can define worship as something that we do for God, an act of service, the next question that I have for you is, why do we serve God? That might sound like a little bit of a touchy question to ask. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. No, no, no. I just want to know your reason. Why do we serve God? Because God deserves it. Mm, that's good. Because it's an awesome God. Because it's an awesome God. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever thought about it? What's that? Because God commands it. Mm, yeah. No, you're, you're correct. That is true. I like that you were willing to say maybe I'm wrong, though. <laughs> yeah, you hear that a lot if you're in Bible study with me. Following the example of Jesus, absolutely. Yeah, the, these are these are all uh, all actually true, one hundred percent. You know, it, for a long time, I, I felt like you know we worship God because well, the Bible tells me so. That's what you're supposed to do. God commands it. We're following the example of Jesus. This is what we see in Scripture. That this is what we're supposed to do. Interestingly enough, the, the worship experiences that we have present day don't look hardly anything like what they initially looked like. Uh, kind of reflects a little bit of synagogue practices, but even then, uh, we've, we've adapted it over time. I'm not saying we need to change it or anything like that, but I want us to recognize that our worship experiences uh, can't just simply be defined as something that we do because the Bible tells us to. Especially for me, because I've never really been good at doing what I'm told. I, I have this horrendous streak in me of any time I'm told to do something, I ask that age-old children's question, why? <laughs> Go clean your room. This is, this is uh, often happened in our house growing up. Parents would say, Go clean your room. And I would say, why? And they say, because it's messy. I'm like, it's my room. That's how I want it to be try to rationalize these things out. I've never been good at doing what I'm told. Uh, So I had to come to a different conclusion for myself about why we serve God, about why we come together and worship. And something I realized is that we do it because service changes us. Service changes us. Uh, I, want, I want you to think about uh, the last time that you did something for somebody else. Whatever it might have been. The last time you did something for somebody else. When we do for more than ourselves, it actually changes us. And I don't just simply mean changes us like, oh, warm, fuzzy feelings kind of change. I mean, it literally changes the, the uh, structure of our brain. 
Now, granted, it takes a little bit more time of doing that, but our brain gets rewired as we serve other people because we start convincing ourselves that a survival mechanism of ours is to do for others and not just for me. Service changes us. To do something for another person promotes compassion in our hearts, empathy in our hearts, promotes grace and love. You might have heard uh, this, there's this old practice that if you hate somebody, or I don't know, hate is a strong word, but if you really, 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 really don't like somebody, try praying for them. And they say that if you pray for somebody that you really, really, really don't like, that your attitude towards them starts to shift because you're doing something for them. You're doing for them. It's an act of service. So service is meant to change us. Putting in the work, or should I say putting in the worship, makes a difference in our lives and the lives of others. But here's the catch. That does mean there's something that we do. So, a bit of a confession, if you haven't noticed about me already, I've always, always been notoriously mediocre at everything that I've tried doing in my life. Uh, I, 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 and I, I used to not be able to explain why, but I've always been mediocre. Uh, put me, put me in, on a sports field, it doesn't matter which one, I'm, I'm going to be mediocre. I'm not going to be terrible at it. I'll be, I'll be competent enough that people won't pick me last. <laughs> Unless it's for basketball, and then I'm going to be picked last or just asked to leave. Uh, <laughs> but any other thing, I've only ever been mediocre at. Uh, I played trumpet through middle school and high school and into college. And I was never very good. I wasn't bad. I played in the band, and I supported the band, and I was a, a big part of that. And people would ask me to do stuff playing trumpet, but I was only ever mediocre. Uh, during high school and college, I got really into uh, learning to uh, write, play, and record music. And uh, if you come to the parsonage, to our house, uh, we have, because it's so enormous and there's just two of us and our dog, uh, we have a whole room dedicated to the instruments, the musical instruments that I've collected over the years. And I've only ever been mediocre at those instruments. I can get by and play a couple chords, I can read music a little bit. I've gotten a lot slower at it. Uh, I, but just mediocre. And I used to get so frustrated about that. I would ask my parents, why am I not good at anything? I know that I'm not bad at anything, but why am I not good at anything? And it hit me while I was in college. Can anybody guess why I might not have been getting good at anything? Yes, I didn't practice. That's exactly the answer. Now, this should seem like the most obvious thing that should have slapped me in the face a long time ago, but I was just thinking, I can kind of do this. I can get by. It's, it's enough. It's sufficient. If somebody needs me to play a couple chords on the piano or guitar or play drums, I'll, I'll take care of it. If somebody needs me on their sports team, I'll be there to support. I'm not going to be good at it, but I'm sufficient. And I never felt like I needed to practice because I was doing just enough to be able to get by. Just enough. But I wasn't putting in the work that would have led to me being a changed person. 
if I would have put in the practice on whatever sport I wanted to do, uh, then I probably could have been half decent at that sport. If I would have put in the practice, put in the work at whatever musical instrument I wanted to play, I probably could have done it. But I had this terrible uh, streak in me, and it wasn't quite laziness. I'll say that. It wasn't quite laziness. It was almost laziness, but it wasn't quite laziness. It was more so that I had this perception that what I could do was enough. And so long as it could be enough, I didn't have to do any more. And so, uh, whenever I was in school, uh, think middle school for this particular one, uh, we, we often had a talent show that would go on. And you better believe I signed up for the talent show, because I like having the spotlight on me. And, uh, and I had this whole plan. Uh, it, it also helped that we were able to get out of class to go to talent show practice. That was also a plus. Uh, so the, the very first day they announced talent show practice, I left class and went and I said, I'm going to be going up there and I'm going to be singing and dancing to Smash Mouth's All-Star. <laughs> Classic. Uh, and they were like, okay, perfect. You know, we got you down. Let's, uh, you can go ahead and start practicing and all that sort of stuff. And the next day practice came around and I didn't go. And, you know, days continued to follow where they had the talent show practice, and I didn't go because I felt like my name was on the list. I'm good. I know this song by heart. It's been my anthem uh, for far too long, you know. Uh, so, and, and the dance routine, I was just going to make up on the spot because I feel like I can do that sort of stuff, and I can't dance. <laughs> and so the evening of the talent show came, and I go up to uh, the teacher who was heading up the talent show, and I said, when do I go on? And she said, you're not on the list. I said, well, that's odd, because I was definitely on the list the first day we did this. And she said, yeah, but you didn't come back. But didn't I do enough? I was there the first time. I showed up. Wasn't that enough? She said, no, you, you kind of had to come every single time to practice uh, to be on the list to perform. Thank God I wasn't on that list, because it would have gone horribly wrong. It would have been a royal embarrassment. Uh, but I learned another hard lesson that day. You kind of have to put in the effort if you're going to be on the list. You kind of have to do the work if your life's going to change from mediocre to good. I was always mediocre. In many ways, I think I still am very mediocre at most things. But it had me wondering if I'm a mediocre Christian as well. Amos, who we've been unpacking the past couple of weeks, has something to say about that mediocrity. And he starts out in this passage in, in Amos chapter 5, verse, starting in verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. What? Isn't that kind of like what we've been waiting for this whole time? Like we were told 2,000 years ago, uh, Jesus is coming back again. It's going to be this day of great glory, and we're all in the, in the sweet by and by, pie in the sky, all that sort of stuff. Like, that's the day of the Lord. Why this woe? He goes on to say, why do you want the day of the Lord? Like, come on, that's like all glory and goodness and happiness and excitement. And he goes on to say, it is darkness and not light. 
That doesn't sound right. I don't remember reading about the darkness, not light. What? Amos, we have to remember here, is speaking to the Jewish community. Okay? And the Jewish community had this concept in their head that the day of the Lord was going to be a day when Israel was going to be restored to complete glory. Why? Because Israel is the chosen people. God's chosen people, God's own people. That's like who they are. That's their whole identity. That's everything that they've known about themselves is that we're God's chosen people and so the day of the Lord is going to be a good day for us. But if you start tracing back through the prophets, we start to see that the day of the Lord is a good day for those who put in the work. And we start to see that the day of the Lord isn't such a good day for those who did not follow God. Those who did not follow God, this was supposed to be like not a good day of the Lord. And these people in the Jewish community, good Jews, faithful Jews, they did their worship, they did their sacrifices, were waiting for the day of the Lord. And Amos comes to them and tells them, you don't want this. This isn't what you actually want. The people of Israel thought they were home free because they were God's chosen people. But Amos reminds them that they are not home free because the people of God will not simply worship a certain way. Rather, they will live transformed lives that reflect the God that they do worship. Consider that. The, the people of God are not people who just simply worship a certain way. They're not the people who just come to church. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you're at church. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I've said this before. I would love it if this, us coming together in this space, became obsolete. And rather, us going to church meant that we showed up at our neighbor's house and helped them because they weren't able to do something. Or we showed up for, the, for people in our community to be there as the church. Uh, so just simply coming to worship is the end of the story. Because worship isn't for us. But it is meant to change us. And so Amos goes on with this word from God where God says, I hate I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offering of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But, you might remember this from Martin Luther King Jr., but this is right from Amos, people. Let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. God has told us what kind of worship God is looking for. And it's not the kind of worship where we just show up and think that we've done enough. It's the kind of worship that transforms, that transforms us, that transforms what it means to be the church. It's the kind of worship that transforms the world. There's a, uh, a fun little concept uh, that's coined by the people at a, uh, a group called Transformational Worship, believe it or not, uh, and they coined this expression, neutrino worship. Anybody know what a neutrino is? 
I knew Charles would raise his hand. Uh, if you've had any experience in particle physics, this would be a little bit more familiar. A neutrino is a subatomic sub particle, smaller than a neutron. And a neutrino is able to pass through any solid object without being affected by it. It just passes along because it has a neutral charge. It's not positively charged, it's not uh, uh, negatively charged, it's neutral. And so it can pass through solid objects without being affected. This is kind of like what worship has become uh, in the U.S. lately, neutrino worship, where we're just kind of neutral about it. We're neutral about what we're learning. We're neutral about what it means in our lives, and we're able to just pass right through worship. And the hour goes by, and we pass on, and we walk out the door, and we back into our normal lives the exact same way we were before we came into worship. And, and the, the people over at Transformational Worship uh, Group, they say, we need people to be charged when they come into worship. People to be charged when they come into worship so that they are affected by what they pass through. Like a positron or an electron. Those that actually cannot just simply pass through something without being changed. Worship is meant to transform us. And each part of our worship structure has a transformational aspect to it, from the prelude in which we simply gather together to reflect on who God is. All the way through our uh, greeting and opening prayer as we, as, we, uh, as we do a call and response. That's what worship is, a call and a response. God calls and we respond. All the way to the offering. Y'all, the offering isn't meant to be so we can help, pay, so we can pay the bills. It does help, but that's not what the offering's about. The offering is about our response to God and giving back what God has given us. All the way to the sermon, all the way to the benediction, all the way to the point in which we walk out of this place, worship is meant to transform us. So instead of sitting here wondering why God lets bad things happen out in the world that we're about to walk back out into, we should be allowing our hearts to change so that we become the vessels that employ justice and righteousness in the world. So during this series, I've been trying to get real practical. Real practical. And so what I have here, I'm going to be passing these around. And I want you to take one of these cards. There, there are six different colors. And I want you to take a card that looks, the, the, the title of it looks interesting to you. Or you can read the description. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about these as we start passing them around. These are called justice cards. Uh, you heard me talk about before, the United Methodist Church is the only, or ha has the only non-government building on Capitol Hill. And that building is the United Methodist General Board on Church and Society. This is the board that affects justice on behalf of the church. And if you go on their website, you'll see they have different categories of things they care about. And this is what we're talking about uh, here in these justice cards. There are six of them. Uh, the, first is, uh, the first one that we have is this bright yellow one, and this is about human rights. And in the United Methodist Social Creed, yes, we have a social creed, 
We declare, we commit ourselves to the rights of men, women, children, youth, young adults, the aging, and people with disabilities to improve, the quality, to improve their quality of life and to the rights and dignity of all persons. The second card that you'll see is a green one, and this is on education. And in the United Methodist Social Principles, we claim that we believe every person has a right to education. In our Book of Resolutions, we declare United Methodists have a moral concern to take initiatives to support and create alliances involving educators, community leaders, and students to address the challenges of contemporary education and to work to resolve the threats to quality education. Then you'll see the blue card is health. Health in our social principles is defined as a condition of physical, mental, social, and spiritual well-being. Our social principles state, creating the personal, environmental, and social conditions in which health can thrive is a joint responsibility, both public and private. We then see on this beige card, environmental justice. And in our social principles, we claim all creation is the Lord's, and we are, we are responsible for the ways in which we use and abuse it. Water, air, soil, minerals, energy resources, plants, animal life, and space are to be valued and conserved because they are God's creation and not solely because they are useful to human beings. This uh, light green card is poverty. In our social creed, we claim we believe in the right and duty of persons to work for the glory of God and the good of themselves and others in the protection of their welfare in doing so, in the rights to, poverty, to property as a trust from God, collective bargaining and responsible consumption, and in the elimination of economic and social distress. And I've lost a card. The final card is the pink card uh, that says peace. Our social principles state, as disciples of Christ, we are called to love our enemies, to seek justice and serve as reconcilers of conflict. We must insist that the first moral duty of all nations is to work together to resolve by peaceful means every dispute that arises between or among them. So, what I want you to do with these cards, as you take one that you feel like speaks to you, there's, uh, there's also pins in the basket, uh, I, I want you to write on the back of the card how you feel like the church should be addressing justice and righteousness through these areas. I will say, we've been doing something for, for educational justice already. We've been providing school supplies for our partner school, Spencer Westlawn Elementary, and we've been doing this for a long time. There are many other ways that we've been partnering in our community to bring about justice, but here's the thing. Just because we think we've done enough doesn't mean that we've transformed the world. And that's the caution that Amos presents to the religious people. Worship is about our transformation that we might go and transform the world. And it's not enough to just be mediocre. We need charged Christians 
who come to worship to be transformed and then go from worship to serve, to serve the community, the world, on behalf of the God of love who has called us to take action in the world. And so I really do hope that you'll fill out these cards. If you need to take it home and reflect on it, by all means, bring it back whenever. If you just want to shoot us an email about it or, or give me a call or text about it, perfectly fine. But I do want to hear your voice on how we can make a difference in letting justice, justice roll down like waters and righteousness, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let us pray.